Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's struggles and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Chad Osinga, a.k.a. Mr. Tenacity, and you will find out why they call him Mr. Tenacity uh, as we interview him. Chad is a high school dropout turned college graduate, special operations sniper, and combat applications instructor for the U.S. Army. Chad grew up in a drug house with a mother addicted to crack cocaine, who later passed away to an overdose. Never knowing his father, he turned to the streets for the better portion of his early life. Chad will discuss with us the numerous adversities and challenges he has faced from scenarios arising from war, special needs children, marital problems, accidents, and physical setbacks. Chad uses his time now to speak on podcasts, writing for publications like Authority Magazine and The Up Journey, and works as a life coach mentor. His main initiative is to help empower people by revamping their mindset. Chad believes the fight for success, failure, mediocrity, or greatness is won or lost within our minds. Welcome, Chad, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Hey, we're super excited to have you. First off, speaking for myself and my audience, uh, we want to thank you for your service to your country and your efforts to keep us all safe. Thank you. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, Chad, tell us and describe your early years growing up, the family situation, your health situation, any siblings and your school situation. Right. So, uh, you know, growing up, well, let me backtrack. When I was born, I was born with Herb's palsy and my mother, she's always struggled with drugs. So she, when I was born and the doctor said, Hey, your son has Herb's palsy. He has, you know, this time frame." or he'll lose the movement in his left side. She took a small hiatus from all the drugs and actually worked with me. Uh, got me to a place where I was actually functioning with my left side. Shortly after that, though, she just went right back to the drugs. And it started with, I believe, alcohol from, you know, I was really young. So this is just a lot of this is stories from family. Uh, and then that turned, you know, into marijuana and then that turned into cocaine and crack. And by that point, it was just out of control. You know, yeah. it, it like I, she didn't make me go to school. You know, you talked about I didn't go to school. I, I dropped out in the ninth grade. I didn't believe in myself. Uh, you know, I had drug dealers that basically lived in my home. And at 14 years old, my house actually got raided, you know, uh, local wow. federal you know, law enforcement came crashing in. It felt like an earthquake hitting the house. It, the yeah. house took so because we had just a small home. And you know what I didn't know is that there was drugs buried in the backyard, all kinds of stuff that I didn't even know was happening in my own home. Uh, but she was so fixated on that next that next hit of of cocaine or crack that you know I was I, I became second or third in the list. You know, so I didn't go to school very often. And I was, I was really angry, you know, uh, anger became the driver uh, of the, my vehicle, you know, in life. And yeah. I made a lot of decisions based on just that anger. Uh, I became anemic as a matter of fact. And, um, it, you know, it was just due to the fact that I didn't have a decent meal. A lot of the drug dealers would take all the food that was in the house. I remember my grandparents telling me they actually dropped off food at the front door, I guess. And by the time I got home, it was nowhere to be found. Like it was already gone and, and eaten up. So I just, I didn't get a lot. And when I did sell drugs for the, the older guys, they took most of the money or, you know, and I, I didn't really have much. So, you know, maybe I would have enough for a McDonald's fish sandwich, you know, but that, that was the extent of, of my nourishment, you know, and uh, I know that we talked a little bit and I'll let you, you know, lead into that. But by the time I got to Oklahoma, I had uh, I was anemic. Wow. So a very poor diet, to say the least. And then growing up, that's not a good thing for sure. Uh, Chad, any siblings? No, I, I was an only child. And, you know, I, I think that was for the best uh, in the situation that we were in, that, that only one of us had to go through. Uh, the hell that I had to to kind of navigate. When you did go to school, 
what what did, did the teachers know kind of what was going on or or how did that work so you know early on so i was uh i was labeled as special i don't even know how learning disability right so they okay. basically said that you know my upstairs wasn't functioning uh the right way and and so i was kind of at a young age i was pushed into isolated classrooms and there was a point as i got you know into the eighth grade and right before i dropped out that some of the teachers did ask questions about you know why i smelled the way i did because i didn't have clean clothes i you know i was that kid you know yeah um, but because i was already kind of shoved to the side from a very early age i, I don't think many noticed uh they they did eventually call um i don't know who they're called cps maybe and they came in the child uh protective services yeah, yeah. uh they tried and i i actually lied for my mom i you know i i, I tried to cover for her and so that she wouldn't get in trouble i uh and and they never really followed through though uh they never took me from my mother or anything like that it took a you know a law enforcement raid for things to to really come to light as far as how bad my situation was so there was some questions later on but i really do believe because they they counted me out at such an early age i was you know called dumb even by teachers you know so yeah I, I mean what what a failure of the education system yeah i mean what a failure that, that that's just a shame so uh i understand your aunt uh shipped you off to oh i'm sorry you were shipped off to live with your aunt in oklahoma who did that and, and tell us about that time period so the courts did that um right after my home was raided they i you know i was too young to have any say so or really have an understanding of what was going on but right. uh they gave custody to my aunt and uncle who lived in Oklahoma and I really didn't know them that well, you know, um, I get there and it was an equally bad situation for me. Uh, she was deep into the church. She worked for this church and it was like this holier than thou setting, right? I was the, the, you know, her sister's drug addict son who was evil and bad and, I got treated like that. They would read all of my mail that was sent from my mother from prison. They would not allow me to talk to her while she was in prison. They would also monitor all the phone calls I had with any family from Virginia. And a lot of times they wouldn't even allow me to talk to them. So they would literally sit on the other phone. And if, if anything was said that they didn't like, they would end the phone call. Wow. There were times where I was stuck in a, now remember I'm, when my house got raided, I'm 14 years old. Okay. Right. By the time I get to them, I'm 14 and a half, 15 years old. They stuck me in a corner. Okay. And like where the front door is. And I'll never forget this. My uncle was a big guy and the front door led to their living room. And he was sitting in his recliner and watch sports and watch me sit in the corner. And I could not turn and look from that corner i had to do my homework there i had to eat there i had to stay there until it was time for bed when i messed up and then they now i'm i'm all i have four children and i'm i understand that you have to discipline your child but there are limits yeah they, they had this wooden paddle and they would hit me so hard with it that i would turn black and blue and i would bleed oh my god no, no, no. Why, why were they hitting you? Like for disciplinary? Or yeah, what? it was. Yeah, it was because I. And, but it was for very, very minute things. Like right. one time, it was because someone passed gas in their van. Okay, my two cousins blamed it on me, which I, I, I swear I didn't do it. And yeah. I'm, I'm pleading with her. I'm like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And she ripped me out of the van, took me in there, and just started wow 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 right and they called them licks and i still to this day i call it licks when i when i used to spank my kids i would be like hey you're gonna get you know three licks you know and now i i real, realize why i i said it but yeah it, so just, they, it just sounds like child abuse to me it, it was like one time i got thrown down the hallway by my uncle because uh, it, it was a very again minute situation one of my cousins we were outside uh, one of their friends home it was dark they had a tire swing and they're spinning the tire swing and we would get inside the tire swing and we would spin each other right 
Right. No big deal. My younger cousin gets in. He's spinning. He gets scared. Okay. So he's screaming like somebody's chopping his arm off. Right. They come out because I'm the oldest. All of a sudden, I'm wrong for not having stopped this situation, even though all of us have been doing this. Right. Right. I didn't think any. I mean, you know, it, he got so irate with me. By the time I got home, he ripped me out of his, uh, he had a Toyota Tacoma. I'll never forget that. He'll rip me out of it. He threw me in, he opened the door, threw me into the doorway and then chucked me down the, the uh, hallway leading to their bedroom. And what was, I think, more degrading than anything is at that age, they would even take my pants down to spank me. So bare bottom, right? And I'm 15 years old, you know, and these are adults. Right. And I, not even mother and father figure adults, you know, so it, it just it, it was very rough, to say the least. And so I, I loved basketball. OK. And when I played basketball, my problems seemed to just disappear in my mind. So while I was in Oklahoma, they allowed me to play for like a rec league. I got in trouble in school or did something, probably grades. I can't even remember. And they said, you're done. No more basketball. And they ripped it away from me. And that was it. My my caring, my, my like something broke within me. And yeah. maybe not even a month, probably two weeks after that, I ran away for the first time. And understandable. Very understandable. I got caught the first time. Yeah. And then, yeah, this the second time I like two weeks after I got uh, caught, I actually uh, convinced a schoolmate to take me down the street and dropped me off at an old gas station. I had about three phone calls worth of quarters to get on a payphone and call my grandmother back in Virginia. She got us uh, a plane ticket, and then I hitchhiked uh, to the airport. It, it was, and wow. then I got arrested by the police for breaking probation when I got to Virginia. How, how old were you when that happened? Uh, 15, 15 and a half by the time I got back to Virginia and then they arrested me for the probation. I didn't even know I was on from the raids. That was from the raids. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they thought, well, you were selling drugs or whatever. Yeah. yeah. yeah they had it related. So what prompted you to join the military and tell us how you reacted uh, to military life. And, and what do you think spurred you to excel uh, in your jobs. I mean, you're, you were a sniper, you were training others in combat applications. Uh, what, how did, how did that, how did that all come about? So it's the reason I got into the military is because I met a young lady when I got back to Virginia, uh, the initial school wouldn't accept me and they shit, they, they shifted me to a, uh, a different school outside of our school zone. And I met this, this woman who's still my wife she was the most amazing thing in my life, right? Like she was that glimmer of hope that I didn't have up until that point. And so she, I was still a wreck, you know, uh, 16 years old. I, I, you know, been through so much and my mom sure. ended up passing away with an overdose uh, from, from doing drugs. And I, I just, I was a wreck. And she literally looked at me and said, if you want to be with me, you better get your stuff together. And I knew at that point that Chad had to do something, right? Right. And ended up having two kids and we were living in low-income housing. And I looked around one day and I said, I'm not, this can't be my life. She wants more. I got to give her more. And I didn't have any skill sets. I had dropped out of high school. I didn't, didn't have anything. My grandfather, though, he was a Marine. And I really looked up to him. I thought that he was like the best thing since sliced bread. And so... I tried to join the Marines and they wouldn't allow me because I had dropped out of high school and they had real strict standards uh, back then. So the army gave me a call right after that. And there you go. I, that was a wrap with that. I, I signed the dotted line and, you know, I'll never forget sitting on the bus, like, Oh my God, what have you just done, man? Like <laughs> you have no idea what you just put yourself into. And I didn't. Um, at first it was not a good thing for me because I, I never had that type of discipline, that type of structure in my life, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I, I definitely bucked at first, but I think between my, my wife constantly talking to me, 
and me finally understanding that I couldn't go anywhere, right? Like I was stuck in this thing. There was no, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the saying burning the bridge, right? So once you, once you burn the bridge, you really have no other way but to go forward. That's right. And so without me really knowing that that's what I did to myself, that's what I did. And it was the best decision I had ever made in my life. Um, once I accepted where I was, I began to, you know, learn and, and, and adjust and become exactly what they wanted me to be. And then I realized how good I was at. It. And so once I, I realized that, oh man, this is something I'm, I'm not just good at, but I like, right? Like I never had anything in my life that, that people were like, man, you're good at this. You know, yeah. everybody yeah. always called me dumb and, and, and that I would be no more than what my mom was. So I'm finally in this environment where I'm excelling. Right. And right. so that's kind of how everything kind of progressed. And then I was afforded the opportunity to go to special operations sniper school. And it, again, kind of burning the bridge, you know, uh, I didn't, I was the most junior person that was going through the class at the time. I had the least amount of experience than all of the other people. I mean, some of these guys had multiple sniper course uh, courses that they had taken outside of this one. So I, and this is my first one, right? My first right. rodeo and they're, right. they're on their right. fifth or sixth, you know? Yeah. And um, it was funny because a lot of those guys failed. Like the guy that we that drove me to the class and entered in with me failed on day one. I was like, Oh my God, how am I supposed to get home? Right. Like, <laughs> um, but it, it forced me to learn that anything's possible if you're willing to work harder than everybody else in the room. And that's exactly what I did because I felt like I was the least of everyone. I, you know, because they gave you the freedom to go out on the weekends or at night, you can go get drunk and, and, and roam around the streets and get in all the trouble you want, or you can study and you can pass, right? So, so failure and, and success was solely put on the student. And I excelled because I, I knew that I had to work harder than everyone else. I, so, I, bet, your, I bet your self-esteem and your pride went way up. Uh, it did. It, you know what's crazy though? It did, but my, and here's something that, you know, I'm, it'll come out later in, in this interview, but the things that happened in my childhood haunted me despite my successes, which is real. I didn't realize that they were like, like nipping at my heels, right? Like right. my entire time until um, later on in my life. And and I had to eventually come because I never dealt with it. I never dealt with all the trauma that I had experienced prior to the military, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I ended up getting injured in Iraq. I, uh, I went off of a roof and I landed head first. Uh, the jelly around my eye is like all still dented in. So like, I see like blotches and stuff. Um, and they can't really, well, they say they can't do surgery because the, the retina is there and, you know, I, it could harm that. So they just want to stay away from it. But uh, it narrowed my neck up and, and just, it really, it really put me in a bad situation. And then I would like to break away for a moment to tell you about a great course our podcast supporter, Doug No has developed titled Developing Emotional Competency and Advanced Emotional Competency, sold as one combined item. Doug is an award-winning author, speaker, 22-year veteran trial lawyer, adjunct professor of law, peacemaker, and mediator. Doug co-founded the award-winning Prison of Peace Project, in which he taught murderers and other violent criminals in maximum security prisons to be mediators and peacemakers with positive results. This course will teach you the nature of emotions, the abuse caused by emotional invalidation, and a powerful counterintuitive skill called affect labeling. When you complete the course and practice the skills learned, you will experience a profound transformation in your life. Who is the course for? Smart, ambitious, goal-oriented, get the job done, and pride in doing a good job people. But you are about to be verbally assaulted in a public space by your boss and you freeze. Someone on your team is being a jerk in a meeting and you don't know how to handle the situation. You can't get a word in edgewise with your boss or colleagues. You are not assertive enough or overly assertive and called nasty names. You work with an annoying person that just infuriates you. 
Your customers are angry and hostile at every turn. Work and personal situations can leave you emotionally drained. You might think something is wrong with you. After all, you are smart, you're educated, you earned your position through hard work. So why are you struggling with emotions? You should have mastered all this by now, right? Wrong. You have been disconnected from your emotions by your upbringing and training. You have been taught to suppress your emotions. They feel like enemies. Consequently, you haven't learned the skills necessary to be emotionally self-aware. This is why you don't always know how to manage your feelings. You were never taught emotional self-regulation other than to shove your emotions down where they couldn't be seen or felt. You are not alone. Everyone suffers from the same difficulties. This course will teach you step-by-step how to handle emotions in any situation. It is a set of techniques that will teach you to effectively respond to challenging interactions, create a new set of reactions to anger and hostility, to learn the power of emotional self-regulation and social power. You will use your emotions to get ahead in life, become a more powerful and confident leader, unlock the secrets of self-empowerment, become an emotionally self-aware human being, and enjoy greater freedom from emotional exhaustion. This is the first course that teaches emotional self-awareness. The combined course, which includes the basic and advanced course consisting of 23 lessons, sells regularly for $378. For our podcast listeners, by using the link provided in the podcast notes and using the code RONRAP when you enroll in the course, you will get a discount of $100 off the combined course, bringing the cost down to $278. That's about $12 a lesson. The course is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. If for any reason this course does not exceed your expectation, you can get a full refund anytime within 30 days after your purchase. If you have any issues, just get in touch with the friendly support team, and they'll either help you out until you get the results you need or give you a swift refund. Again, all ordering information will be listed in the podcast notes, and also uh, the course may be ordered on the podcast website, it's a wrap with rap.com under the tab marked resources from because of, of that. And then my daughter had a stroke, like not too long after that. So we, we get back and we were in Germany. We were, and I, we were actually getting ready to, to go redeploy and go back to Afghanistan. And this guy run, we were doing two a days in the gym and I'll never forget this. He's out of breath. He's like, Sarge, Sergeant. He was like, you, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get back and get to the phone. You gotta get, I was like, what is going on, man? Calm down, man. Breathe, you know? And, and yeah. he couldn't, he was like, no, you gotta hurry up. It's something to do with your daughter. Once he said my daughter, everything changed, right? So this is happening uh, while you're on deployment in Germany, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so I rushed back and they're like, Hey, no one's still telling me anything. Right. They're like, go to the school. We don't really know what's going on you know, get back there. So I go back to the school and the ambulance is already there. They're actually putting my daughter inside the back of it. And my wife is in the, the back as well. And they take off without even saying two words to me. So I'm like, okay. So I get back in the car and I'm following the ambulance. And at one point the ambulance actually had to stop because my daughter was convulsing so hard and they didn't know what was going on. They assumed it was a seizure. So we get to the first hospital, she's still convulsing. And I'll never forget the doctor, or not the doctor, it was like a, a nurse saying to me to hold her, because they were trying to do a, a EEG and she kept convulsing and they're like, hold her still, hold her still. And I'm like, dude, I can't. Like you are the medical community, you stop it, right? Like, I don't know how to stop this. Right. So for almost 24 hours, she went untreated for a stroke. And this whole time they're like, oh, it's just a a seizure, but she kept having these convulsions. Finally, the next day, a neurologist came in and was like, hey, did you guys do a MRI? And they're like, nine? No, 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 no. She's like, let's go, let's let's get her in an MRI. They get her in the MRI and her brain is so swollen that they have to do an emergency surgery. So then we, they, they couldn't do it there. They had to do a craniotomy at a children's hospital. So we get sent to uh, this this other hospital that's specifically for children. And, you know, what I love about Germany is they don't care what anyone else thinks. They only do what's right for the parents. 
I mean, for the uh, for the the patient. Sorry. Not yeah. The yeah. And they literally said, hey, we're doing surgery right now. There was no consent forms there. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this is what we're doing, guy. It's and, going uh, down. It's going right, down right now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, they did. They they did the craniotomy, which released the pressure. And, and they said that if she hadn't got there in the time that she did, she was going to die within two hours. So we're we're still a wreck. We, we don't really know what to to make out of all of this. And my wife is pregnant during this time, right? Uh, That's got to be stressful on her. Yeah, she ended up popping. Um, right mm-hmm. as my daughter's in ICU, we're still at the children's hospital. She had just had a craniotomy. And now my wife pops. So I have my older son in the room with my daughter fighting for her life. And I have my wife in a different ward giving birth to a new child. And I'm skating back and forth just dumbfounded at at how wild this you know this is and I, I i didn't know what to do i i i was just on autopilot i i didn't know what was right and what was wrong i just knew i had to be there and do the best i could and shortly after my wife gave birth the lead doctor uh for my daughter came in and just told us he was like i don't know really how to say this to you but she's probably never going to walk or talk or eat on her own ever again. She's going to be a vegetable. And I remember going back to that hotel room in the shower and screaming. I, I was so just broken. Like, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know, you know, as a father, that's man, you know, you talking about taking being powerless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, uh, so I get my, my my composure back and I, I go back and um, they say, hey, we got to ship you guys to uh, America. We you know, we she's only the third case of a child that we've seen here that this has happened because basically it was vasculitis, which usually happens in the lower extremities of older individuals. So that's an inflammation. Right. Was and that from was that from an infection or see they they, they as time went on doctors began to argue if it was vasculitis or if it wasn't. Um, And so we don't have a definitive, it was, but the lead specialist that dealt with her from day one still believe it was vasculitis. But what made it really rare is that, so it went through a hole in her heart. They did do, they, I forget what it is, where they stick the camera through the leg and it goes all all the way up. Um, Angiogram maybe. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember, but they saw the hole and we are, we're all born with a hole in our heart, but it usually closes over time. Hers never closed. This yeah. vasculitis went through that hole. It clogged three of the four major arteries that led to the brain and which caused the, the stroke. But what made it rare is that it continued to spread and it, it basically took over the whole right side of her brain. And so when we got to Walter Reed Medical Center, and at the time it was in Washington, D.C., Sympathesda now, but they actually had to put her on the highest dose of, of steroids possible and chemotherapy at the same time to try to kill this aggressive form of vasculitis. And that's why they said that they had never seen this like this before. It was very rare yeah. that, that it would be acting like this. Usually steroids kills vascu- vasculitis. It wasn't killing it uh, at its strongest dose. And so, um, it, it, you know, but, the, the thing is, is like they continue to tell us what she couldn't do. And I, I as a father, had to to offset that with no baby. We're going to do something about this. Right. And you I didn't get po- a positive attitude. Yeah, we, we're gonna fight. yeah. You know, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I can't tell you. But I know one thing. We're not going out without a fight. So okay. yeah. I um, I kept speaking that in her. And I said, baby, you're going to walk. You're going to walk. You're going to walk. I would stand her up and she, we had a plethora of stuffed animals from people trying to cheer her up and dropping them off. Yeah. Like she had one good arm and I was like, throw, throw them against the wall. And I would stand her up and she would just throw them against the wall, throw them against the wall. And then I would take her and move her legs and we'd walk back and forth through the room, up and down the, the hallways. And at the three or four month mark, she actually took steps on her own. She was talking on her own. 
And with the, her good arm, she was eating. That's because her. of you. That's because yeah. all on you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, yeah, I, I mean, you could have, you could have just accepted that, that, that BS that they gave you. Yeah. You, you didn't, you didn't. No. And, you know, she wouldn't have had use of her muscles and everything. It, right. it probably would have turned out negative. You're probably right. I didn't know what, what to do. I just, I was like, I'm going to do well, something, you know. You did the right um, thing. You did the right things. How is she today? Uh, she's great. She's 17 years old. Uh, she uh, has a job that that uh, she's actually getting fired from uh, because she, she has a problem with being late, uh, as most uh, young ladies do. And... Um, but she's walking, talking, everything's oh, good. Oh man, she's walking. She's, you know, she she still has her struggles. Uh, she, her left side doesn't operate uh, very well. Like she, her arm, she has no use of. Uh, she has a severe TBI. Her memory is really bad, but she has one of the best attitudes a human being could have. Period. Right. Much less yeah. being through what she's been through. And she, oh yeah. You know, she she goes and she she studies, she takes lessons at school and she she doesn't want to be treated less than average. And I I commend her for her heart. You know, you got, and, you. You, got and, you. Yeah. you know, so, yeah, she she's she's doing great, you know. And uh, but <laughs> so during that time, uh, we were at my, my wife and I were actually separated. They the army did us backwards. They sent me with my daughter and they kept uh, her in Germany because my son had just been bored. So, and, you know, but they finally get, you know, send her, they, they get all the documents and they come back to Walter Reed with us. And then about a year after uh, we get released from Walter Reed, we find out that both uh, my two youngest have autism. And yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Two yeah. sons, are, two sons are born. Uh, yeah. Can you briefly tell us, Tell us about them and, and, and how you handle that. When you talk about Mr. Tenacity, we're, we're beginning to give the audience a reason why they call you Mr. Tenacity. Yeah, uh, that one was wild because they're both on different spectrums. So, like, I don't, you know, uh, those that might watch your show or listen to your show that know something about autism, it's a right. spectrum. And, yeah. you know, I don't think there's two children exactly on the same spot on that spectrum they might be close but but these two were on completely different ends i had right. one my youngest he would scream and yell for like four to five hours at a time right and nothing i didn't even know the human lung could do that yeah. like without busting or something bad happening right but he would just scream and then i have my other one who was nonverbal till about eight years old, he had a iPad that he kind of communicated with, but which he hated, he hated using it. And so we just, at one point we had my daughter in therapy and my two youngest, and it was, it was a lot, you know, and I really take my hat off to my wife because at the same time, this is happening. I'm still in the army, you know, they, they're still requiring me to work uh, and do what I was, you know, being paid to do. Um, and so my wife had to take on a lot of that, that burden. And I, I mean, and then on top of that, they didn't sleep, you know? So at night, uh, my, my two youngest, they just, the ones with autism, they, they could not go to sleep. You know, they were finicky eaters, uh, the texture would bother them. So, I mean, we were going through all kinds of, of experimental, things to try okay do you like this you know if they would eat a toaster strudel at nine o'clock at night I, that was a win for us right uh, uh, yeah. you know most parents would be like toaster strudel at 9 p.m that's that's hideous us we're like yes <laughs> you know we're, we're we're jumping for joy and you know doing cartwheels through the house so uh it, it was just it was a a learning lesson it, it was you know you're constantly figuring out the the different intricacies of each child because they all tick differently right and right. you know it, but they're strong kids you know my my uh, 11 year old who couldn't talk until he's eight he can talk now i mean it's still something he's working on but he can hold a, a short conversation with with someone and they can understand for the most part what he's saying which 
you know, is, is such a, a, a big, big win for him coming from someone who couldn't even talk just a few years ago, you know? Right. Right. And then I have my, my youngest who he was, um, like I said, just couldn't control his emotions. Uh, smart as a whip, but man, uh, he couldn't get out of like how he computed and, and, and took life in. If something bothered him or, or was off and it wasn't exactly the way he wanted it to him, the whole world was, was, you know, right. being destroyed. He, he was on that opposite end of the spectrum. I want to get to where you exit the military in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I know that was a tough time for you. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that period? Uh, yeah, uh, that was probably one of uh, the darkest points in my life, I think. Uh, so at this point, my my kids, they're, you know, we figured them out for the most part, right? They're, they're you know, in scheduled therapy, they're doing, you know, as best as they can do in their situations. I had dedicated 10 years of my life and I had just been banged up too much. Uh, the army re- retired me. They retired me with, you know, full honors. I It wasn't a, a bad, you know, separation or anything like that. I get benefits from, from my service. So it's not like I, any of that doesn't happen, but I, I wanted to do 30 years. You know, I, I finally found my jam. I found that thing that, that rang true to me. It was your fit. It was a perfect right. fit. And yeah. I felt like it was kind of stripped from me just because I, because I had been hurt doing stuff for them. It wasn't, you know, but I had had multiple surgeries and they, they just said, you know, you're done, man. Uh, and yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I didn't have a mission. Right. So right. Uh, you might have heard the, the saying, uh, you know, the, the mind is is such a, a powerful place. And, and when there's no purpose, it's, it becomes like the devil's playground. Right. Yeah. And my mind had become the devil's playground. Uh, PTSD had hit me like when I was in and I had a mission. I, I didn't feel as consumed by by the things that I had seen, whether it be in the army and overseas or even my childhood. Like I I had a. Uh, a North star, if you will. Right. And I, you had a focus, right. A focus. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. And yeah. I, I didn't have that anymore. And I was, I was like, probably like, if you looked at me on the outside, I probably looked like a dog chasing his tail. I didn't know where I was going. I had no purpose. And I began to drink. I began uh, to smoke marijuana. And when I say drink a fifth of whiskey a night was, was me on a, on an easy night. Right. And I was smoking an ounce of weed, a. um, a week, I was blowing my money just to numb my mind, just so I, I didn't, because at first the alcohol started to, so I could go to sleep because I was having nightmares. I couldn't go to sleep, but then I have this high tolerance and maybe it's the army in me. I don't know, but I can drink like a fish. And so that tolerance it just got stronger and stronger. And, and I had to have more, had to have more to go to sleep. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm a fifth of whiskey a, a day, you know, and but you were, you were in pain. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Mentally yeah. and physically, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, we have veterans on this program a lot. They all the, the sad story is when when a lot of these guys get out of 20 years service or whatever, they they don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, there doesn't seem to be any transition from the from the army or the or whatever service to when they get out, yeah. you know, like no transition will help. They're just out there. Yeah, it, it's it's bad. It's bad. And, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I don't even I don't even know because I was I was in a tailwind. Um, do, you, do you think that's that was when you hit rock bottom at that point? I was. Yeah, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty much there. You know, I because my my relationship with my, my best friend, my wife was on the rocks. Uh, she wanted to leave me. I didn't have a good relationship with my kids anymore because even though I was there, I wasn't there. I, yeah. I, I wasn't present with, with anyone, you know, even if I wasn't drinking or smoking, which you couldn't catch me with, without, you know, smoking something, you know, um, I, I just wasn't fully present with them and that's what they needed. And yeah, I, 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 I was at probably an all time low uh, during those years. 
Now you decide to start riding your motorcycle for pleasure. Yes. And you have two incidents or accidents, 2018 and 2020. So, so this down spiral kind of continues. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, of course. Uh, so I took up riding my motorcycles because I knew I had to do something to help my mind. Right. And I had rode them when I was younger and I was like, Hey, let me just see if this, this kind of helps, you know, that what they call wind therapy. Right. And it did, it, it was, it was really great for me. I could get on that motorcycle. And just like I was telling you with basketball, when I was younger, this was kind of the new basketball for me. Right. I could hop on that motorcycle and just get lost in the wind. My problems didn't matter. And I would hop off of it at the end of the day. And I was much better of a, of a human being, right, right, after I got off the motorcycle. But uh, three years after I got out, I was taking a left turn. And a kid, probably 18, 19 years old, probably on his phone, he blew a red light as I was making a left turn. And it's part of it's my fault. I didn't look right. I should have looked right. I usually do. I don't know. That night, I saw a green light, and I just went. And he wasn't paying any kind of attention. He didn't, when they did the investigation, there was no brakes that were touched or anything. And he hit me at 45 miles an hour. He put me into a guardrail. My bike was destroyed. Uh, it, it was bad. Uh, and I, it hurt me. I was already hurt with all the surgeries and stuff from being in the military. And now I got hit at 45. I was, I was in a lot of pain and it took me about, I'd say about a year before I, I had the courage to try to hop on another bike. I had a buddy who actually rebuilt the bike that got destroyed in that wreck uh, while I was down and, and healing and, and learning how to get myself going again. And so I was riding that bike again uh, in 2020. And this time I thought I was doing the right things, right? I had a group of people with me. Yeah. So it was, it was about five Harley Davidsons. I don't know how you don't hear five Harley Davidsons going down the road, right? You have to really, really not be paying attention. And this man wasn't. Uh, we were on I-95 South. Uh, if any of your listeners are familiar with that stretch. and uh, Yeah, we're down here in Florida, so we're real familiar with it. Yeah, so, so I was in the far left lane, and they're expanding the road at that section. And uh, so there's this Jersey barrier right to my left. The van in the middle lane... I guess his his traffic uh, was kind of slowing down, so he didn't want to slow down. He wanted to jerk into the left lane and keep going. He didn't look in his mirror. He didn't look in the blind spot. I don't think that man was looking at very much. Uh, mm -hmm. And he jerks the wheel and piles into me at 65 miles an hour. He hit me so hard that my bike went into the Jersey barrier and never fell back down. Like it was imprinted into the, the, the Jersey barrier. Wow. I flew into that construction zone that I was just talking about. And, you know, I, I thank God I had some military guys uh, that were riding with me. They applied first aid, but I had to go to two different hospitals before I could get my first surgery. And I, I basically flatlined on the way to the first hospital. They revived me. They stitched me up. Uh, they had to cut my beard and that's why it's not as long as it used to be. But, uh, and I got this, it looks like, like, like this cause right here's where all the stitches were. Yeah. It's a cool looking beard though. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. But, um, uh, so they sent me to the, to get my first surgery and, and the doctors don't even realize that the MRI couldn't see all the damage that was done. And so they went in and they were like, holy moly, we weren't ready for all this. So they had to schedule me for a second surgery. And as I'm getting ready to go through that second surgery, I flatlined again. Uh, I thought I, I, <laughs> it's really, they were asking me if I was like, you know, how they, they just check your vitals before yeah. they take you to the surgery room and just make sure you're good right before you get cut. And they're talking to me. I think that I'm talking to them like I'm talking to you right now. But I am not. I'm like slurm. I'm blah, 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 right. But I think I'm just telling them that I'm wonderful, right? Yeah. But I, then I, I, everything goes black. I don't see anything, right? And I basically flatline again. And they hurry me to this other room, 
And I wake back up and they're holding me. I'm, I'm butt naked. And I, it's the weirdest thing. Like everything was blurry through my eyes, right? Like I couldn't see anything super clear, but I could hear everything. I could hear the, the doctor talking to the nurse, the nurses talking to each other. And I remember looking to both sides and, and them shoving IVs into both because my heart rate was at like over 190, I believe. And yeah. they, they were like, man, he's going to go again, you know? And I remember him talking like, like I'm not awake, you know? Um, yeah. I just remember just looking at the doctor. I think it was the doctor. I couldn't see very well. Whoever was in the blurry image in front of me and just telling them, please, I got, I got kids that need me. They do. They need me. Please. You got to save me. I knew I was in a, a really bad situation. Uh, ended up them saving me and, and, got me back into an ICU room. I was in ICU for seven days. If you know anything about, you know, ICU, they don't try to keep you there very long. And uh, so seven days is a, a hefty stay in, in ICU. Yeah. And two weeks altogether, I was there. I've had about five surgeries. Uh, I still have like two or three more, like my hand, like my, my pinky works, but like I can't point and these are just kind of there. You know, um, so I got a thumb and a pinky that work great. Uh, <laughs> that's about it. Um, and that's after surgery. So, it, you know, it, it was it was a mess, but it was in that moment that good things happened for me. They really did. Now, with all the things going on in your life, Chad, when did you find your purpose and realize that uh, God had something bigger for you in that ICU room? So, you know, it's COVID, it's 2020. So my my family, I hadn't even seen them in two weeks. I had no cell phone because it was on the the bike and it was destroyed. And you can only watch so many reruns in a hospital room before you go bonkers, right? Yeah. And um, I ended up looking, I had to just face me, you know? I, I don't even know how to explain this, but I just began to look at me, like all the way back, like following a wire to its very source. Right. Um, and I just, I realized that I hadn't dealt with a lot of things and that God had a purpose for me for some reason. I had been off of a roof hit by two motorcycles and that's just the, the three notable things, right. That, that, you know, people want to hear about. Uh, I've, I've been in so many situations that, I should have not, I shouldn't have made it out of. And yet I'm, I'm here, you know? And so I realized that I needed to get my stuff together, right? I needed to fix me so that I could help some people in the same situation as me. Uh, because if I can do it, if I can get my stuff together, then I know anybody else can, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What, what motivated you to want to inspire others with your story and prompted you to do your writing and your speaking. Uh, that that right there, because I, I really believe that that's my calling. I believe that that's why God spared my life once again. I believe that um, all of the things that I've faced uh, were for me to, to help somebody else with, right? I was luckily strong enough to pull myself through it. And if I can prevent some people from facing some of those things or making better decisions or helping them through a hard time and, and them handling it much better than I did, then man, that's a win. And that was worth, you know, God saving me. What do, what do you tell those out there uh, listening that are afraid to speak out and tell their stories, people that really want to, what do you tell them? Man, somebody needs you. Let me tell you something. You know, I, I always go back to this. I've sat with professionals that have never been through an eighth of what I've been through. And they sit here and they tell me all the things that I should or shouldn't do and how I should be feeling. And I just, I leave the room like, whatever, dude, you have no clue. They haven't been through it. Right. But then you hear someone or you talk to somebody who, man, they, they've been through something similar, right? Like maybe not exact, but right. ooh, man, or something worse. Right. Yeah. And you're like, wow, it is a different type. Look, people have knowledge we have phones we have uh, you can you can learn anything right now what people lack is inspiration right and we are the inspiration okay our stories our experiences our our mess 
right? I've heard this a thousand times. It didn't ring true until I was in a hospital bed, but your mess is your message, right? And whatever you- I like you, that. I like that. Yeah. Your mess is your message. It, it, it really is. Uh, somebody's going through it right now and they just need your voice and your voice is what's going to ring true. Maybe save them from, from offing themselves or getting a divorce or you know, whatever, whatever it is, right. Yeah, Giving up yeah. on themselves a hundred percent, you know, maybe making a full recovery. You, yeah. you, just, you just don't know. Everybody's got a purpose. You write for authority magazine and the up journey. Tell us about those uh, publications, Chad, and the content of your writing for them. Yeah. So the, uh, like authority, I've, I've been featured in authority about five different times. I've, I've done various pieces. They usually give me a title, uh, that they feel like I'm qualified for. Like one was overcoming fear. Uh, one was uh, five thing, five tips for public speaking since I'm a speaker. Uh, so, you know, just different things that they think that I can add value to their audience. And it, it, it's ranged. Uh, one, like for the up journey, I think it was how to, it was something to do with marriage. I can't, because I've written a whole bunch of articles now, but I, that was one of the first, first or second ones I actually got accepted and it was about uh, how I treated my wife and how I would open my door for her. And still at 19 years of being married, 24 years of being together, I still open her door. And, you know, just the investment that you have to make on a daily basis with each other. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've written from everything from relationships to how to overcome fear. Now you're a life coach and a mentor. Uh, what types of people seek you for help and what, what methods of mentoring and coaching do you use? And can you talk about uh, maybe one or two successes you've had? Yeah, so um, it's mostly guys, um, you know, mostly mostly uh, men that resonate with me. And believe it or not, usually a younger crowd, like I would say, you know, 35 and younger. I, I say that's young, but uh, that's young. I'm, I'm a little older than 35, you know, so like, you know, and I, when it comes to coaching, we have to do the work. So I, I try to be there to motivate and to keep them accountable and to give them uh, practical tactics, right? Because it's all about the tactics on how you're going to, to overcome your obstacle, right? But right. Uh, a lot of the things I give them is like journaling, right? People, especially guys, we think that that's like, not manly, right? To, to write in a journal. Yeah. Like sissy stuff. Right. Right. But it saved my life. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really has. And it, I'm telling you, I, I was stuck in a, a, like in a chair. I couldn't even wipe my own, you know, gotcha. And I, 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 I couldn't do anything. I had one good hand. I, I learned to write, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I learned the power of journaling and keeping, getting what's in here out. And, you know, what I also tell guys is some people don't like writing. Okay, record yourself. If you like speaking on a recorder instead, that's a form of journaling. Just get it out. Get it out. Keeping it on the inside, not dealing with, with those things that are bubbling around. It, man, it's going to come out one way or the other and usually a destructive way, especially for us fellas, right? We, we just, we get, it gets pinned up and it just explodes out and we, we're always sorry after, but it doesn't negate you know, the explosion. So we do that, you know, that's one of the big things that, that I talk about meditating, but when I talk about meditating, I, I try to refer it to almost like uh, if anybody's been in sports uh, and you've had like a, a, a game where you didn't do so well and you know, your coach, he, he writes down all the different plays that, that didn't go so well. And he puts you in that practice and he makes you run those drills over and over in that scenario. For me, that's what meditating does, right? I'm able to look at, at prior things that I did or didn't do as well as I should, and I'm able to dissect those things, right? And, and then figure out what to apply next to become better. And, and when I leave, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like I was at the gym for, for two hours, right? I come out stronger and better and, and, and more prepared for, for that next thing. So that's the mentality. I, I, I'm big on, on our mindset. And I really do believe that it can change um, the course of anyone's life. I mean, my daughter believes she could walk and she began to walk, right? Uh, yeah, mindsets. I agree with you. You know, so so it, it, it is. 
and it, and it's something that's constant. I call it mental gardening because it's it's a constant thing, right? You don't just go in, weed it, weed it out, and walk away and expect ten years later for that garden to still look great and produce great fruit or vegetables, right? It's, right. it's constant work. It's constant nurturing, and you have to protect that that garden from anything that would come in and try to sabotage it, right? So, and then I talk about you know. Uh, the circle of people that you're in. Uh, and that's for, for a lot of people, that's a really hard one. Uh, whether it be family or, or friends that they grew up with, uh, our circle really dictates who we are and who we're going to be. And um, it, it boils down to energy and frequency. I don't know if you, I, I'm a big fan of Bob Proctor, if you, if you know who that is. And um, yeah. he talks about, you know, frequency and us as people were energy, right? So if, if their frequency is low and, and your, your frequency is going to be low, but if you're right. around high frequency people, your frequency is going to, to rise up. So talk about that. And I think one of the great success stories is actually a young, a young 20 year old that I had and uh, quiet to himself, not motivated. Right. And through his, through a little guidance, right. But him doing the work, Right. He's right. now, you know, successful. He's, you know, his bills are, are almost obsolete, you know, and, and he's living his best life at 21 years old, 22 years old now, you know, and uh, it, it just goes to show you age is just a number. You know, these young bucks, they can they can have a great life, too, and they can get their stuff together. And it was just cool to see such a young a young man take life by the horns and, and really do something positive, especially when he wasn't geared that way coming into it. You know, he was very much on the lower end of, of this, of the wanting to get things done. And right. you know? yeah, it sounds like your methodology is, 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 is right. Spot on for those struggling out there, Chad, uh, with whatever issues they have, what final thoughts can thoughts and words can uh, do you have for them? So the first thing is everything that you could ever need or want is already within you. Um, I think a lot of times we, we always are desperate for someone else or something else. Um, the answers are on the inside of us, right? Uh, the, the other thing I would say is start speaking who you want to be into existence, right? Uh, your words have power, even if you don't believe they have power, right? Right. Uh, write some things down you know, that you want to be, that you want changed, put them on your, you know, mirror as you're brushing your teeth, say them every morning out loud to yourself because you're having a conversation with yourself, right? We, we do it every day, right? And so change the conversation. And the only way to do that is to change what's coming in. So that's what I would say. Chad, how can people contact you? They want to get a hold of you. They, they want to, you know, talk to you, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, right. So my website is mrtenacity.com. Uh, my email is mrtenacity40 at gmail.com. And then you can just look up Chad Osinga on Facebook and I'll pop up uh, with this luscious beard. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm there. Message me. I'd love to chat. Okay. We're going to put all that information in the podcast notes for everybody. Uh I want to thank you so much, Chad, for coming on and sharing your truly inspiring story of overcoming so many obstacles uh, that were thrown your way. Uh, the fact that you decided to overcome them uh, will give uh, so much hope and inspiration to those out there who are listening. Uh, good luck and good fortune in all your work and endeavors going forward. God bless you and your wonderful family. Uh, people out there who have comments and suggestions to improve the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with wrap at gmail.com. We have a website. It's a wrap with wrap.com. We are on Instagram. We're growing very strongly on that. It's a wrap with wrap podcast. Facebook page and group. It's a wrap with wrap. We have, I think we've hit over a thousand members today. Uh, YouTube. It's a wrap with wrap the podcast uncut. All the uh, podcasts are on YouTube. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I want everybody to please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap.